Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is 1 John 4. By now, you've probably heard me talk about how much I don't like false dichotomies. And today we come to one of the biggest potential false dichotomies of them all, where people attempt to divide. And and let's just back up. What is a false dichotomy? Well, really, it's where people take two things that are true and actually pit them against each other, or even use one to downplay the other. And today we really come to, I think, what is one of the greatest potential false dichotomies of them all, uh, which is right doctrine and right living. There's no way to divide those two. We need right teaching, we need to believe the right things, and we need to live the right way if we want to be faithful Christians. But you'll hear people say, you know, well, um, yeah, if you, it's all about right living. Who cares about doctrine? Well, how are you going to know what the right living is if you don't have the right doctrine? And there are some who maybe begin to think that it's all about what you think or what you believe, and they do neglect the effect that it should have on our lives. Well, today in 1 John 4, even as we see the goal of this letter being this joyful, confident assurance of our salvation, we'll see a highlight of that in the chapter today. We see both of these truths, right doctrine and right living, put together side by side. We cannot have faithful Christianity, and we cannot have assurance without these things. And so we're going to see these things as we go through 1 John chapter 4. And first, we're going to look at the importance of right doctrine. And we'll see some fresh applications for us uh, today. The chapter starts with these words, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. And so likely there is some background here. Uh, Again, we see in study Bibles some introduction to the book, but the Bible itself doesn't give us that. It'd be nice if John opened with a synopsis of, hey, here's the specific false teaching I'm talking about, but he doesn't do that. And so we're, we're kind of listening in, trying to kind of almost reverse engineer, okay, he's talking about this What must the false teaching have been that he was warning them about? And clearly the false teaching probably had something to do with people denying that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. Um, Really the humanity even of Jesus Christ, that that was being denied. And so he's giving them this specific instruction in their uh, specific context. But if you step back and look at this broader, right, if we put on our then, always, now cap to think, okay, what what, what is he saying then? What is always true? And and what's true now? What is always true is there will be false teachers. 
not everyone that claims to be teaching from God will actually be teaching from God. And that, as we saw in 2 Peter, can be a very discouraging thing. That's why there's some encouragement here. Um, Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. That's the frustrating part. False teachers, until Christ comes, false teachers, I believe, will always have an audience. They will always have a ready, eager crowd that wants to listen to them uh, because they're all of the world. But verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So until Christ comes back, there will always be people listening to false teaching, but I also believe, even though it may be more of a remnant, there will always be people listening to the truth. And that should be an encouragement from us. And remember that context, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, is in the context of false teaching, that should be an encouragement for you. And so when we think about whoever knows God listens to us there in verse six, I think that should bring us again, if we think then always now, one thing that was different then versus now is we have a completed new Testament. They did not. So even when he's talking about false prophets, this was still in the time where the New Testament was being written and the the apostles and prophets were were still around. And so there's these false people claiming to have messages from God. Well, now we live in a time, right, where when you think about John saying, whoever listens to us, what does that look like for, uh, for us to listen to them, whoever they are? Well, I think of John, he's one of the apostles, And we have really what has now been delivered to the church, we have the New Testament, and we need to listen to that. So some now ways to apply 1 John 4, one, I would just encourage you, keep reading your Bible. I'm I'm guessing you didn't just randomly decide, oh, I wonder what this Ben Blakey guy has got to say about 1 John 4. If you're listening to this episode, I'm guessing you're reading through the Bible with us on some level. I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep reading the Bible. Read the Bible every day for the rest of your life. Study the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Seek to know the Bible better because we need to listen to what God said in the New Testament. And the other thing you, you can see that is a good now application from these verses is you've got to keep your guard up. You need to realize that today, like then, There will be false teachers. There will still be false prophets that are not agreeing in what they say with what God has revealed in his word. And so you always need to keep your guard up. You need to compare everything that you hear, especially today. We have so much access to to teaching through the internet, social media, recorded sermons, podcasts, books. There are so many avenues for Christian teaching. It's not all good, though. Frankly, it's not all Christian. And so you need to know your Bible better than you know some podcast or some author or some teacher. You need to know your Bible. 
So keep on reading. Make that your primary source of understanding about God and evaluate everything through that lens. But we have to remember, it's not just about believing the right thing, although that is essential. Believing the right thing leads to a certain way of living. And that's what we'll really see mostly in the rest of the chapter. And the rest of the chapter is going to focus on one particular aspect of that right living, and that is love. And we will see some ways how how powerful love, and, and not in a Huey Lewis, the power of love kind of way, but in a real God-centered way, love is powerful in ways that we need to see from God's word. And we're not talking about some romantic love. We're talking about ultimately the love that God has shown us that should now be demonstrated by us. Maybe if you grew up in the church like I did, or you were around the church in the 80s and 90s, you remember singing 1 John 4, 7, and 8 in the old King James Version. In the ESV, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so there we see another one of those straightforward statements. Anyone who does not love does not know God. But then it goes on to really explain the power of this love comes from what God has done for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there it points back again, all to the love of God. That all of this love between Christians that should be happening happens because God loved us and sent his son to be this atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then we see that the power of love comes in that love between Christians demonstrates God in a unique and real way. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. And that's not just meant to be some offhanded, you know, theological statement of fact. It goes on to say, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, that's a demonstration of God and his love. That is something powerful. And then it goes on to talk more about even our, our belief. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So you see the linking there of what we believe about God and then how we live because we see this love that we have. And now that this love, we abide in love and we abide in God and God in us and this love then will Give us assurance, really. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we have, may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
So there we see that union of what we believe about God and his love and then how we live, because it goes on to talk about if you say that you love God and you hate your brother, you are a liar. So again, we see one of those straightforward statements, but notice there that love casts out fear. What's that talking about? It's not saying that the fear of God, something we see all throughout the Bible, is now irrelevant. In the context, it's clearly talking about the fear of judgment, or even more specifically, the fear of condemnation. As we as we observe God's love, and we see that love transforming our lives and our behavior towards others, we lose fear of condemnation because, no, I see the love of God displayed in Christ, and now I'm starting to see that love of God displayed in my own life, and so I'm not afraid of condemnation. I have what the goal of First John is, this joyful, confident assurance of our salvation. And so one application of the reading here today, I would encourage you, even as we think through learn, worship, and apply— You really need to worship God for his love in response to our reading today. Yes, 1 John gets us to examine ourselves with some pretty straightforward statements. But if that's all you're doing, you're missing the point of 1 John because he is directing you to not only examine yourself and your claims of faith, he's exhorting you to examine the love of God to consider the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And I hope you not only consider that love today, but that you celebrate it. And as you celebrate what you believe, having this right belief about God and the gospel, that would transform how you live. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.